Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Uh, we've come to a point in Ecclesiastes. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we got to the end of this section in Ecclesiastes where we just kind of paused and we began to kind of look back and take stock. So at the end of chapter 6, we were taking stock of everything that had been said so far up to that point. And and I got to this point and I began to realize, I was like, we could do more application here because I think it's really important that we apply these things to our lives, that we don't just learn, but we begin to be changed. So we don't, don't just want to be hearers of the word, even though we must be hearers of the word. We also want to be doers of the word. Amen? Yeah, so, well, that was sad. Okay, amen? All right, good. All right. <laughs> I know I was gone for a week, but man. All right. Um, so there are two realities we have to deal with in Scripture, right? And that is that the Bible tells us throughout Scripture what the command of God is. If you were to wrap up all the law of God into a one reality for us, it would be love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Old Testament makes it clear through Deuteronomy that we're to love the Lord our God wholly, with a W, right? All of us. Okay? And then we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And the way we live out the holy love, the whole love that we have for Jesus, is through a holy love for others. Okay, So we're actually made holy by that love. So here, here's what I want to make sure you understand, because this is what I've been dealing with for the past few weeks. As the heaviness of ministry and as just the reality of it's easy to just caught up in striving and trying to get the next thing done and the next thing done and the next thing done and the next thing done. I've just come under conviction and I've come under this weight of how does this all apply to my life? Because it's really easy for me to sit here and go, this is how this applies to your life. But I have to go through the process of applying it to my own life as well. And so over the past weeks, as we've been going through Ecclesiastes, I've had to do a real heart check on some things in Ecclesiastes. And so there are two passages that we've hit on so far that I want to make sure we go back to and we're going to spend a little bit of time with today because I think it's going to be essential for us to get some application out of them. So you have in your bulletin a sheet to follow along with. I'm going to encourage you to do so so that you have some of this in front of you. And then there's a lot of blanks there. Do not fret. You're not going to miss what blanks to fill in because you're only going to fill in eight with me and the rest of them are going to be your job. Okay, So don't come running up here afterwards like you always do trying to fill in all the blanks because mine's blank too. Okay? All right, so it's just not going to help. So there are eight blanks you're going to fill in. And as you fill in those eight blanks, what I'm going to ask you to do is to come along with me on what I call an audit of my life of worship. Where I'm doing an audit, where I'm actually taking stock of... Are these things in place and are the processes in place and am I actually living out this great commandment to love the Lord my God and to love my neighbor as myself? Because throughout Ecclesiastes, what we see from the writer, from this guy called the preacher, from Solomon's life, is we see him running after all kinds of things, trying to find satisfaction and contentment. And he keeps on trying to get control of life, and every time he feels like he's got control of life, it takes a U-turn and it goes the other direction. Every time he thinks he's got control, he calls it a vapor. He calls it striving after or trying to shepherd the wind because he just can't get control of it. And I don't know about you, but recently I have felt that way in my life. As in three weeks ago, I felt that way in my life. 
And I came to a real moment of, and Pastor Roger and I sat down in his office and we talked about this because we're both dealing with a lot personally, professionally. We're dealing with trying to serve people in our community and in our church. And as we came to this point, we just realized, how much of this am I trying to do in my own strength? How much, how much of my life am I actually living by faith? How much of my life am I actually saying I can't do it? Because there's actual contentment and joy, and I've been saying this for weeks from Ecclesiastes, there's actually contentment and joy in that moment where you go, can't do it. I can't do it, but he can. I'm weak, he's strong. right? And in that moment, I'm actually freed up to enjoy life, but I wasn't feeling that. I wasn't experiencing that. Some of you have noticed that. Some of you have seen that. And so I've been working through an audit of my own life. So here is what it looks like. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to say a few words about each of these. And then um, just kind of we're, we're going to take this as it goes. There's going to be times where I'm going to ask you to stop. And I think it would be a really good idea for us to begin to ask the Lord to do something right now by his spirit. Um, because... I know all of you know this, but I do not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, right? Nor am I the Holy Spirit, and we all said praise God for that, right? If you are a child of the living God, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And as His Word takes root in you, His Spirit will begin to transform you to convict you. And that's what I pray will happen through this audit. Okay, so if you'll turn, first of all, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we hit on this week one of our series in Ecclesiastes in kind of an overview, looking at the purpose of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. So right there at the end of the book, we see the point, what all of life is leading to. And this is the way he says it. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What we said was, if God is the judge and he's going to bring everything into judgment, every secret thing, then that means that everything we do has meaning. Everything in our life, how we eat, what we eat, how we work, where we work. All of those things, they have meaning. The way I treat my family, the way I treat my friends, the way I treat my enemies, they all have meaning. Everything means something. Everything matters in our lives. But the first part of this passage is really, really intense if you think about it. He boils all of life down to two phrases. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's why you exist why I exist. He says it's the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. And I I hear that and I hear love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Because that's the commandment of God. And if I'm going to fear God, I've got to love him. Uh, what, what do I fear in life? What do you fear in life? If I'm being honest, right? If I'm being honest, what do I fear in life? What I fear in life is losing the things that I love. How can I identify what I love? By what I'm afraid to lose. 
And as I began to think through that in my life, there are good things and there are not so good things that I love. There are people, there are places, there are jobs, there's people's respect, there's all kinds of stuff that I love that I'm afraid to lose. And so what I did was I just stopped and I began to say, okay, Holy Spirit, search me and try me, see if there's any wicked way in me. And I was asking him to search my heart. When was the last time you asked the Holy Spirit to search your heart? To see what you love and to see if you love the appropriate things. Not just to say, oh, Jesus, I love you, right? Oh, God, I love you. Like Sunday school answer stuff, you know what I mean, when you were a kid. Who do we love? Jesus, right, and ice cream. And, you know, but the reality is we have all kinds of loves in our lives. So I did a heart audit. And on the left, I put the things that I love that are probably good. That in and of themselves are not evil. And on the right, I put the things that I love that I'd be afraid to lose that in and of themselves may not be beneficial to anyone but me. Does that make sense? So I wonder how willing you would be to do that. To lay your heart bare before God. And say, show me what I love. A heart audit. Because this is what I began to understand. What I love sometimes is really good. And can help me obey the commands of Jesus. And sometimes what I love, even though it seems good, because I fear losing it too much, keeps me. From obeying the commands of Jesus. Think about my wife. I love my wife. She's sick today. You can pray for her. Um, I, I just think she got sick because I was gone and she was so sick that I was right. No, I'm just kidding. So, um, <laughs> my wife isn't feeling well. I love my wife. I love my wife, and I I I'm afraid to lose her. And ask anybody who knew me when we first met and when we first got married. I wasn't in school anymore. She was. We were living on campus at the seminary, and she'd go to class, and I was like the puppy dog waiting at the window. I'm like, when's she coming back? Because I didn't believe she would come back because I did not deserve that woman, right? I mean, I was I was afraid to lose her. I and I love her so much. I love my daughters. Afraid to lose them. Um, that's good, right? It's good that I love my family, right? Well, what if my love for my family kept me from obeying the Lord? What if my fear of losing my family, what if my fear of losing my family kept me from taking Carissa to Barcelona? I would have never had the opportunity to see her serve in the way she did. What if my fear, because of what I love, kept me from obedience. So the next thing I had to do is I had to make a commandment audit. So this is what we could do. If you wanted to, and feel free, listen to me, don't listen to me, because it's more important that you go through this on your own. But I want you to understand that when we read in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, fear God, keep his commandments, those two things, neither one is negotiable. It says this is the whole duty of man. This is why we're on this earth is to fear God and keep his commandments. So 
if I have do a heart audit and I'm being honest, the next thing I've got to do is a commandment audit, right? I've got to look at my life and say, these are the things. So what I did was on the left. I said, these are the things that are easy for me to do when God commands. And on the right, I'm like, these are the commands that I go, eh, when I feel like it. Or no. You got any of those commands in your life? Love your enemies. Be anxious for nothing. Anybody got any of those commands in your life? Anybody got the commands that are easy in your life? If you were to stop right now and you were to say, Lord, reveal to me where your grace has been poured out so that I can actually obey you and it's so easy for me to obey in those ways now. Right? You know what's easy for me? What's easy for me is sing praise to the Lord. Sometimes I just can't stop. Like I'm just humming stuff. And I don't even like Christian music. I think most of it is just ridiculously horrible. But I can't stop singing. Humming, whistling. It's annoying to people around me. That's an easy command. Sing unto the Lord. You know what a not so easy command? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. What about you? You know why it's hard for me to love my enemies? Is because if I'm being honest, one of my heart issues is that I like to be right. I love being right. None of you are surprised by that. I'm really shocked. Okay. I like to be right. And there's nothing wrong with being right, is there? I mean, we shouldn't desire to be wrong. Thanks, Callie. Uh, (laughs) We should not desire to be wrong. So uh, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be right. It's just when wanting to be right gets in the way of actually loving people who are against me. Hmm. See how that works? When I begin to love being right so much that I can't love my enemy or even love my friend who disagrees with me. So doing a heart audit, doing a commandment audit, which led me to this third thing, which seems to be throughout the message of Ecclesiastes, where he was striving and striving and striving and striving to get, to get, to get, to get, right? So he keeps saying power begets more power or a desire for more power. Striving for stuff you get the stuff and you go, not satisfied with that stuff. Got to have different stuff. Got to have more stuff. And so the question I had to ask is, okay, if I love these things and they in themselves are not bad things, but they get in the way of me obeying God, how many of them am I willing to give up? And so the audit I had to do next was a giving audit versus a keeping audit. This is the treasure in, treasure out thing. This is, uh, am I storing up treasure on earth? Am I storing up treasure in heaven? And it became a giving versus keeping audit. And I began to ask myself these questions, and I encourage you to do this because it's freeing me every day now. If I love something, but I'm not willing to give it or share it, do I love it too much? 
I'll give you an example of this. Um, I remember when I was a kid, nine years old, we went to the mission field. We went to Malawi, Africa. And my nanny, um, who is my paternal grandmother, she was a mighty and a small woman. And uh, she had a really high-pitched voice, and she could stare you down and rip through you with her eyes. And then she was the funniest person I've ever known in my life, all in the same breath. My nanny had two sons, my dad and his brother Jerry. And um, my dad felt the call, and my mom felt the call, and we as a family felt the call to go to the mission field. We were going to Africa. And I remember this at nine years old. We're in the airport, and we can't find Nanny anywhere because she was hiding in the bathroom. Because she thought that if she hide, if she would hide in the bathroom, if she stayed hidden, then my dad would not leave without saying goodbye. She could not give him up. She loved her son, her firstborn son. She loved him, but she could not give him away. Not to those people or not to any people. She couldn't give him away. She struggled with that the whole time we were overseas. Just wonder, what do you love so much that you would never give it away? Now here's the, here's the flip side of that. This is where the problem comes. What if God told you today to change everything in your life? Would there, be, would there be room to obey? If God came to you and said, all right, I want you to move. I want you to sell your house. I want you to move in a shack. I want you to move across the country. I want you to move across the world. I want you to give up your job. right? And the only thing you take with you is those things that are non-negotiables, right? Your marriage and your family you're taking with you, right? And you go, is there room to obey? Or do you love the life that you have right now so much that you can never give it up if God were to ask or command? All right. Maybe that's just a little too extreme, right? All right. So I ask this question. What if God asked you to change one thing? Just one. Is there room in your life to obey? And my heart's been broken for about two weeks because I couldn't answer that question. Too many things that I love. Too many things that I find my identity in. Too many things that kind of make me me. Right? What if God said, that one's got to go? It's not bad. It's just got to go. It's just in the way of you obeying. Am I willing? Is there room for that to happen? So I began to do a giving and keeping audit. On one side, I put these are the things that are easy for me to share, easy for me to give. Money is easy, right? For me and our family, money, I mean, just, I've never had money. So if I have money, you can have it, right? We'll share it. That's fine. Money is not a big deal, but security, not really a big deal, Like. It's not a big deal in my family. Not worried. You know, would I hate to lose my wife and kids? Absolutely. Would I defend them to the death? You better believe it. But they have security. His name is Jesus. 
Security is not one of those that I, I, I give up my security. We go to difficult places all the time. That's not, I'm not that concerned about that. You know, it becomes hard. What people think about me. Being accepted or acceptable. What if I had to give that up? Position. What if I had to give that up? What if in order to follow Jesus, your name, your good name in the community had to go because the community no longer would stand for someone who loved Christ? Right? Well, what would we do? Those are hard questions, but they're questions that need to be answered if we're going to fear God and keep His commandments. And so what this drew me into was this final thought on this side. How to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. If I love things, and the heart audit, right, exposes those things, and yet some of those things are standing in the way of me keeping commandments of God, right, and I'm not willing to give them up in order to obey, then what are they? They're idols, aren't they? They're gods in and of themselves. So what that led me to was an idol audit. And I didn't just do this audit of saying, here are the idols in my life, look at them, I keep them in the closet where no one can see and pull them out when I like to play with them. That's not what I do. That's not the goal of an idol audit, is not just to know how many idols you have. The goal of an idol audit is to kill and destroy the idols. And I want you to hear me on this. You cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength unless He gives you the ability to love Him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Make sure you understand this. The fact that God would command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength proves that we are incapable of doing it. Right, just just follow me here, right? The fact that he has to say, Love me means we don't love him. And my wife, if she were to look at me and to go, Love me and I went, Sure. It wouldn't make me love her. The fact that it's commanded proves we we can't do it. When he says love your neighbor as yourself, they're fact is we can't do it in and of ourselves so what does the bible tell us we love because he first loved us well what if my heart then drove me to follow the commands which drove me to give as he gave would it not destroy the idols You can't destroy these idols without His grace, without His mercy, without His power. And the good news of the Gospel is that Jesus came and took our hearts that John Calvin said were our idol factories, like we just are really good at producing idols and worshiping them, and He gives us a new heart that produces obedience, that produces peace, that produces love. That's our hope. So, would you be willing this week maybe even right now, to ask the Lord, search me, try me, see if there's any wicked way in me. Expose my heart so you'll see what you love. Expose your willingness to obey.
expose your willingness to give or your desire to keep those things that might stand in the way of you obeying, which exposes the idols. And are you willing to say, Jesus, crush the idols? This is a process I'm going through again in my life. Now, I'm 42. I've been a believer since I was 8. You would think I would have figured this out by now. I mean, I do preach every week, right? But it's a process I, I have to go through again. And he's teaching me how to do it better this time. And he's exposing my heart more this time. And it's more painful this time than it's ever been. Because every time he cuts something out now, I go, how is that still there? And there's a sweetness of his grace and his mercy filling in the space where my heart had gone astray. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want it more. I want you to flip over the page because there's a second side to this. Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But the second part is this. The second command is the same as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it is to be holy. Once again, not something you can do on your own accord or by your own strength. Only something that can be accomplished by him in you. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, which we dealt with a couple of weeks ago, we read this. Verses 19 through 20. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. How many of you would like to be preoccupied with joy? Does that sound good? Like that you would not worry about what's happening in your life, that you would not be occupied by the days of your life and going, I wonder what's going to come of this. Oh my goodness, I have to worry about tomorrow. Oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened yesterday. But instead, you're enjoying the gift of today, that you're actually having joy in the moment. Sound good? He tells us how to do that. And this is what he says. It's a gift. Look at what he says in verse 19. Everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions, those are the gifts, and the power to enjoy them, then begins to understand that his work is a joy, that his life is a joy. I want that. I want you to have that. But throughout chapter 4, Chapter 3 and chapter 5, what we read is the only way that happens is in relationship with other people. That you can't have that without relationships with other people. Two are better than one. A threefold cord is never broken, right? I mean, this is the reality of what we read. That you wouldn't want to just lay up in the bed alone. You want to be married. It's better to have a big guy on your side than to have the big guy against you and be alone. This is throughout Ecclesiastes that life is better when done together. And so I began to look and I did a blessing audit. And what was interesting is, as I did a blessing audit, and this is much like what you might do at Thanksgiving. My mom used to do this. And I had somebody here get angry at me a few years ago when I made fun of my mom for doing this. And I, I repented of that since. But it, it was silly at the time. And now I have kids and they're growing up. And I'll probably do it this Thanksgiving. She would pass a bowl around with current corn kernels and we would drop them in and say what we were thankful for. And I, my last one was always, I'm thankful this is over. And um, that's just what we would do. And, uh, 
and we would try to hide the corn kernels because we didn't want to do the city more. And that was the, but as I began to understand, why wouldn't I count the blessings of the Lord and what I'm thankful for? Now, what's interesting is as I made my blessing audit, went through my blessing audit and made my list of how God has blessed me, whether that's with the comfort of my life, whether that's with the job, whether that's with my family, all of those things. You guys were on the list. This church is on the list. My job is on the list. My family's on the list. My home is on the list. And I made this, I only made like eight blanks there, but it's like 7,000 things you could write that are a blessing from God because I began to understand that everything in my life that I have is a gift. Even the things I never asked for or wanted are a gift. And the ability to enjoy all of those things is a gift. And so often I miss out on the joy of enjoying those things because I think I've earned them. Isn't it amazing that you and I will probably... Some of you have stuff in the crock pot at home, right? You're going to go home and eat it. Some of you have will go to a restaurant afterwards and you'll eat. I'll run through a drive-thru and get my wife something that she won't be able to taste because she's so stuffed up, right? And we go, well, I sure am glad that I earned that money to pay for that food, right? And Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. You didn't earn it. He gave it. I didn't earn it. He gave it. And as I began to look at every blessing in my life, I began to say, it's given. It's a gift. It's a gift. Here's what I did, though. I began to look at my heart audit and began to see how many and how few, it was shocking, of those things that are blessings actually are things that have a hold of my heart. I encourage you to do that. A blessing audit. What has God given you? What has He blessed you with? And when when you begin to see those blessings, then I ask you, why did He give them to you? This is what God told Abraham. I've blessed you to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing to the nations. You're loved so that you can love. You've been served by Jesus so that you can serve. You've been shown mercy, so show mercy. So what about the blessings And how willing are you to share them? See how that ties into the giving and keeping side of things? So the next thing I did was this. Okay, if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself and I'm going to obey loving my neighbor as myself and I'm going to enjoy the life that I have, I'm going to have to have time to actually enjoy it. So I did a time audit. This goes back to Ecclesiastes. The guy who works to earn, then it just has to work harder to keep. It's what we read in Ecclesiastes. You earn more, so you have to work more to earn more. You have to work more to secure what you have. So I began to do a time audit. And I just asked myself, it's like, what do I use my time for? On the left, I put the things that are necessary. And on the right, I put the things that are for me. As, I, as I'm doing this audit, I'm beginning to understand... I really like being alone. You people are tiring sometimes. And I know that goes both ways. (laughs) Many of you rejoiced in me leaving for a week. I get that. No, I mean, people are tiring, aren't they? Not just you guys, just people. 
It'll wear us out. When I was a teenager, I didn't talk to anybody, and it was cool with me. But I had to lay aside my wallflowerness in order to follow a calling. I still haven't gotten over that. Not to stand up in front of people. I, I have to like turn on, then go home. And I want to crash and be alone. Anybody else just like to crash and be alone? Hey, there's nothing wrong with rest. Rest is good. Rest is good. Isolation, not good. Not the way God designed us. Get alone for a Sabbath, but come back. So many of us just get alone. And we hang out in a place where we're alone. We hang out in that land of our imagination. And it is not Willy Wonka, right? It's not good. I just want to make sure we understand that our time is what we've been given. It is a blessing. It is something we've been given, and it is only here until it's gone. So how we're using it is important. Look at your time. Do a time audit. What are you doing? So, some guys I know in our congregation love to fish. right? And here's what I began to understand. They'll go out and they'll spend hours and hours and hours fishing. Some like to play golf. And they'll go out and play, play golf for hours and hours and hours. And I get that because I'd go do it by myself if I, could, if I had the time to go do it by myself too. right? But here's what I began to understand. This led me to the third audit on this side. As I said, how much room in my time and in my money, my blessings, how much margin do I have to be able to serve others? To actually have room in my money, in my family budget, in my blessings, or with the stuff that I have. To have room in my time during the week to actually, if a need came up, that I could actually serve. Or if I could actually go out and seek out a need to actually serve someone. Is there room? Is there margin in my life? What I began to understand is the margin is actually usually in the place where I'm seeking isolation from people. If I turn that into an opportunity to serve people, I'd actually get more joy out of life. Let me give you an example. Fishing. I watch some of the guys and they, you know, they're oh, going on a fishing trip, right? They go on their fishing trip by themselves, and I'll never once see a picture of anything they caught. I don't know if it's because they're bad fishermen or they don't catch anything, but here's what I do see. Every time they go on a fishing trip with somebody else, tons of pictures. Look what he caught. I used to go fishing with my grandpa. I think he just went out there to be by himself. But when I went, he got excited about everything we caught. didn't matter how big it was. How much more joy was there in sharing that than there was in being isolated? Golf. You ever seen the commercial where the kid's out there playing golf and he hits the hole in one and nobody's around to see it happen? He's like, oh! And there's nobody there? Until the older man pulls up in the golf cart and goes, I saw that. You're buying drinks. They go and share a Coke. And um, But it meant something as soon as somebody else shared it. How much of our life is like that? How many times in your life have you been like, man, that was really great. I wish somebody had been here to see it. You realize that the majority of life is actually meant to be lived so that people can be there to see it. <laughs> and I began to look at my own heart and say, do I love Isolation more than I love sharing. It's not an easy thing for me. But I had to do a margin audit. How much of my life is spent doing good things 
so that there's never enough room to do the best things. Which led me to the final thing as I close. If we were remade, if we've been recreated by Jesus, because that's what he tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, right? So we're new creatures. And if that new creatureness is so that we can love God with our, all our heart and love our neighbor as ourself, could it be that greater joy is found in serving others, not in striving for more? So the last audit I had to do was a joy audit. And what I did was this. I began to look at the blessings. And and what I began to see was as I looked at the blessings, I saw what did I spend my time on. And I began to see what I spent my time on. Sometimes it wasn't what I said was what I loved in my heart audit. And I began to have to take stock and go, oh, well, I must actually really love this more than I love that because I spend a lot of time on it, right? And then as I began to look at that, I said, what are the things that need to go away so that I have margin in order to serve others, which really tied into me loving God and giving and keeping on it? Everybody with me? And then I came to the last one, which I said, how can I ever have joy if I have all these idols in my life? And the joy audit was this. What blessing will I use this week to bless somebody else with? Because in them being blessed, I will find greater joy. My sister-in-law, Christy, is the greatest person to buy Christmas presents for every year because it really doesn't matter what you get her. She will cry. Like... My mom got a bunch of free books for all the girls in the family and had them signed by her friend who's in the cubicle next to her at work who wrote the book and and gave them away. And Chris is like, this is the greatest gift I've ever gotten. This is so meaningful. And it's like it was free, I think. But, you know, but she's just like, it was the greatest thing. I was like, I want to buy Christmas presents. for. I want to draw her name every year, right? I just ask you, is there not more joy in giving than receiving? I mean, that's not like a lie, is it? I mean, we teach our kids that, but do we believe it? Is there more joy in serving and sharing than there is in keeping and hoarding? And so I just had to begin to ask myself, what am I willing to give up? So I ask us the two questions again. What if God told you today to change just one thing? in your life to give it up so that you could worship him and love him with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself would there be room to do that and if we're remade to love our neighbor what if greater joy is found in serving not in striving after more are you willing to lay aside your pride lay aside what you have Lay aside your time, make margin in your life so that you're not just a blessed people, but that we're a blessing people. I just want to be transparent. This is a struggle for me. It's really easy for being a pastor to to just become a job. I don't 
think I'm alone in that. Because I wonder if just being who you are in your job is just a job. Or if you can see it as a blessing meant for you to be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would be people who would be willing to lay bare our hearts before you, Lord, so that in your grace you've given us the opportunity to do that, to cry out to you, to ask the Holy Spirit to search us and try us. But, Lord, I know sometimes uh, we don't, and so you just have to force your way in. So we ask you either way. Lord, give us grace to be willing to sacrifice, but, Lord, move in power if we're not willing. We ask you to work your way in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the guys come forward.